Well, today we're continuing our message series called Break Every Chain. Last Sunday we talked about dealing with feelings. And as believers, we're not to live our lives based on our feelings. We are not to raise our children based on feelings. We're not to make decisions based on feelings. If we base our lives uh, or live our lives according to feelings, we're going to end up in these chains of, of, of various kinds. And so we're to live our lives, talked to last week, and base our decisions on the knowledge of God. And that knowledge is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit and through God's Word. Today we're going to talk about practicing self-control. Now what is self-control? Self-control is the, is the ability to control your thoughts and your actions and your feelings through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is self-control. People who live their lives based on their feelings are essentially living out of control, just doing whatever they feel like, and they're going to reap negative consequences in their lives. 2 Peter 1, 5, and 6, and I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your program. It has the outline written out there on the back are study questions that many of the life groups are going over in their discussion times. 2 Peter 1, 5, and 6 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge, which we talked about last week, with self-control. And so it does absolutely no good to have the knowledge of God in your life if we don't live with self-control, if we don't apply that knowledge to our lives. Now, there is a counterfeit form of self-control that we all are tempted to slip into. And this, this counterfeit form of self-control denies the feelings that we have. It hides, it suppresses the feelings that we have. Now, negative feelings are given to us by God as warning signs that there's something wrong in our lives, something that needs to be dealt with. And yet the human tendency is to say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I'm just going to suppress that feeling. What are negative feelings? Well, guilt is a negative feeling. Guilt is a warning sign. You've sinned and you need to repent. You need to do something about it. Anger, that's a, that's a feeling, a negative feeling towards somebody else. That's a warning sign. There's problems in this relationship. Maybe there's problems inside of you. Unforgiveness or something else that needs to be dealt with. And so God gives us feelings as warning signs. But when we suppress those feelings, when we say, oh, nothing wrong with me, then, and we defend ourselves, then we can't deal with the root issue. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And whenever the Bible gives us a command, such as here, don't think too highly of yourself, it's because a lot of people think too highly of themselves. Or the command wouldn't be there. We're to think of ourselves with sober judgment. And why do we think too highly of ourselves? Because we don't want to admit that we've done something wrong. We don't want to admit that there's any issues in our lives that need to be dealt with. And so that's why we suppress these negative feelings. It might be anger, it might be fear. And we suppress the feelings through projecting on other people. We, we blame other people for our problems. 
we deny we have done anything wrong or we minimize our wrong. Well, it's just a little thing. It really doesn't amount to much. Or we rationalize it. There's many other ways. We deny our feelings are indicating problems or issues that we need to deal with in our lives. And when we suppress our feelings, it often leads to depression. It leads to despair. It leads to people engaging in sinful behavior patterns to try to escape these negative feelings. And that's where many people get caught up in addictive, sinful behaviors. So how should we handle these warning feelings? The Bible here says in Romans that we should think of ourselves with sober judgment. Don't think of ourselves too highly. We need to have a sober judgment of ourselves and we need to deal with the issues that God is revealing to us. We ought to speak the truth to ourselves. You know, you can lie to yourself about who you are and what issues you have in your, in your life. We need to speak the truth to ourselves. We need to speak the truth to other people. And when we do that, when we speak the truth, when we level with ourselves and others, then we can begin to address those issues in our lives with, with God's help. We can begin to exercise godly self-control. So that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of this message, exercising godly self-control. And that self-control begins in the mind. Now, oftentimes we think of self-control as, as controlling the actions that we do. And that is certainly an aspect of self-control. But self-control begins in our mind. Self-control begins with our thoughts. Jesus taught us that thoughts can be sinful, and sinful thoughts lead to what? To sinful actions. That's, sinful actions always are preceded by sinful thoughts. And so how can we begin to practice or grow in practicing self-control in our minds and in our thoughts? Well, our minds need to be renewed. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so in the Greek, the word conformed, it means to be pressed into the mold of something. To be conformed to the world is to be pressed into the mold of this world. And the world that, when the Bible refers to the world, it's, it's not referring to planet Earth. It's not referring to the dust of the ground. It's, it's referring to the, the sinful system that's all around us in the world that's, that comprises people who are unbelievers, who are acting in ungodly ways, along with the forces of Satan acting in ungodly ways. That, that's the world. It's everything negative, everything evil that's opposed to God. And so that world is exerting a pressure on us. It's trying to cause us to be conformed to it. It's trying to cause us to think the way it does. And the command here is, is we must resist that pressure. We must not be conformed to the world in our minds and in our thoughts. Now, rather than that, our minds are to be transformed. They are to be renewed, and they're renewed through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so in practice, how does this work? Well, we resist thoughts. We resist ideas that come from worldly sources, and we ask God to renew our mind, to cause our thoughts to be in keeping with his word, to be godly thoughts as we pray and as we fill our minds 
with the Word of God. Our minds are transformed. They're renewed. We are to take our thoughts captive. This is another way to describe the same thing. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so here we see the knowledge of God we talked about last Sunday. It's under continuous assault by the world. The knowledge of God is opposed by arguments. It's opposed by opinions. It's opposed by people who are without the truth of God. And when people come against the knowledge of God, we must have the courage, with God's help, to demolish arguments that come from ungodly sources. We must have the courage to demolish prideful opinions. We must have the courage to stand for the truth of God. Not only directed towards people who are speaking ungodliness, but within ourselves. We must be careful not to submit to those ungodly thoughts, to those ungodly arguments, to those things that are contrary to the Word of God. We must take every thought captive to obey Christ. And every thought that's not in obedience to Christ must be rejected. Our culture is increasingly decadent. It's increasingly opposed to truth. It's increasingly opposed to the knowledge of God. Just this past week, I read a recent Gallup poll, and the Gallup poll was looking at a number of issues, and it was asking people, do you consider these issues morally acceptable or not? So the words of the poll, morally acceptable. I mean, are they good things to do, or are they morally unacceptable? Morally unacceptable would be sin. Morally acceptable is like, it's okay. And they were comparing the answers today in 2017 with the answers that people gave five years ago in 2012. It was a long poll. I'm just going to give three examples to kind of show you what they found. And it was quite stunning to me. So they asked, what do you think? Is this morally acceptable? Uh, sex between an unmarried man and woman, you know, living together before you're married. Do you think that's morally acceptable? It's considered morally acceptable by 69% of Americans today. And even more amazing, five years ago, the number was 53%. So in five years, the polls have moved 16%. Homosexual relations were considered morally acceptable by 63% of Americans. Five years ago, only 40% considered morally acceptable. 23% jump in five years. Now, things don't move that fast, usually. Divorce is considered morally acceptable by 73% of Americans. Five years ago, it was only 59%. So we could go on and on, but the Bible unambiguously condemns all these type of behaviors as, as sin. Living together before you're married is fornication. It's wrong. Sex outside of marriage, whether it's adultery or fornication, is sin. It causes great problems. Statistics bear it out. Uh, but the Bible says it's wrong. Homosexual relations are wrong. Uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the only place that sex is um, allowed in the Bible. Everything else is sin. Divorce, God says he hates divorce. Divorce is condemned, except on for uh, exceptions of adultery. 
And so we could go on with many other statistics about the truth of the Bible. We'd see the same type of increasing numbers of Americans are believing things that are not true, believing things that are not according to the Word of God. And as I've said, not only is it, is it uh, concerning that the vast majority of people are believing these things that are not true, what's even more concerning is the rapid pace at which the opinions are changing just in the last five years. It's unprecedented. Normally these things take decades to change. And so the downward slide is accelerating. And why is this happening? Well, many churches today are no longer teaching the truth of God's word. And churches that teach the truth, people drop out and go to a church where they're not challenged according to God's word. At the same time, our media has been almost completely overtaken by unbelievers with ungodly agendas. And so self-control begins with being skeptical about almost everything you hear, watch, or listen to. You need to be skeptical. You need to think it's probably not true. It's probably got another agenda here behind it. I'm probably not getting the facts straight. They're probably twisting it. I mean, there's some truth to it, but they're probably twisting it to an ungodly agenda. And so... We need to be very careful. Uh, we need to show, uh, we could show that the thinking of people who claim to be Christians is going along, it's, it's less than the majority of, uh, of all the Americans, but it's going along the same trajectory. And so we need to be very careful to exercise self-control in our minds. And we do that by being sober-minded. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now to be sober here, I mean it literally means, the literal thing is not to be drunk. It means to be sober. Also, that certainly is part of the meaning here, but it's also meant here figuratively. It means to be alert. Uh, it means to be able to discern what is true and false, not to be lulled into a false sense of security, not to just take whatever anybody says as, as fact. You know, I read it on the Internet. It must be true. Uh, no, it's probably not true. So to be sober-minded is to be careful what one reads, what one listens to, what one watches, so that your thoughts are not influenced in a wrong direction. We are to be watchful. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded. Here we have it again. Be watchful for your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so here we get one of the reasons why we need to be sober-minded, why we need to be watchful, because there is danger. There is danger lurking. Of course, I didn't bring that out in the polls. It just struck me now. You know, the number of people who believe the devil is alive and real is going down, down, down. Most people think the devil is just simply a concept, you know, a concept of evil. There is no such being as the devil. And, of course, if you don't believe the devil is alive and has his evil spirits to do anything, then you are a sitting duck to his strategies. The devil is very real, and he devours, the Bible tells us, those who are not watchful. Now, how does the devil devour people? Well, it begins in their minds. He plants falsehoods. He plants, plants evil thoughts in people's minds. What are some of those things? Well, some of them, I mean, they're not like 
you know, become an axe murderer or something like that. That's not where it starts. You know, it's like, that's not too easy to say, no, I don't think so. And um, how does the devil devour people? Well, things come out like the Bible is old fashioned. You know, the, the things in the Bible, we've, we've evolved beyond that. The Bible really is for people thousands of years ago. Now we know much better. He plans thoughts as says, everybody is doing these things today. I mean, why oppose it? It seems to be working for everybody else. Why don't you join in the fun? Another thought is it's not going to hurt you. It's similar to, you know, everybody's doing it. And it's not hurting them. Don't be such a prude. Another one, uh, you can watch anything, or listen to anything, and it's not going to affect you. Uh, this is common even among Christians, especially among young people. Well, I can listen to that. It's not going to affect me. I just like the sound of the music. You know, I don't really listen to what they're saying. It's like, it, it affects you. Why do you think there are advertisements on the Internet or television? Because it influences people's behavior. What you listen to, what you watch, what you read impacts you. And so we need to be very, very careful. Another one is you can hang around with people doing wrong things and it's not going to affect you. Well, it does. The people you hang around with impacts your life. And once the devil begins to plant those thoughts in your mind, it's just a matter of time before those ungodly thoughts False thoughts turn into sinful actions. And as that happens, the devil's devouring you. He's pulling you away from God. He's taking you down with him. And so the danger is very, very real. Along with being sober-minded, on the other hand, we need to be prepared for action. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, there we have it again, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what kind of action are we instructed or commanded here to be prepared for? We're to be prepared for godly action, for doing the good things that God created you to do. And when you're doing, when your minds are focused on doing good things, when your minds are focused on doing the right things, when your thoughts are headed in that direction, then you're not going to be thinking wrong thoughts. You're not going to be moving towards doing wrong things. And so it's not just a matter of saying no, no, no to something. It's a matter of saying yes, yes, yes to godly things and godly actions, and that will protect you as well. And so our minds must be alert at all times. We must not let our minds be dulled by drugs of any kind. We must not let our minds be dulled by alcohol. We must not let our minds be dulled by Lack of sleep. Anybody ever understood that when you don't get a lot of sleep, you're more susceptible to temptation? Yeah, your mind is dulled. You're not operating at maximum efficiency. So anything that dulls your mind and keeps you not to be alert, you become more of a sitting duck for the enemy, for the devil. So also don't let your mind be blank. You know, that's one of the problems with some of these meditations. Just blank out your mind. That's not good. God says, let your mind be occupied with godly thoughts. You don't want an empty mind. Jesus even said, if, you, if you're empty, the devil is going to come in and try to fill that void. Your mind needs to be not blank, but occupied with godly thoughts. We need to be prepared for action for God. As I said, if we're doing the right things, 
we're not going to have the time or the energy. We're going to be going in the right direction to do the wrong things. Every person, uh, every Sunday, we give you opportunities to be involved in doing good things for God, things that are going to expand the kingdom of God, things that are going to help you grow in your Christian life. Every person needs to be involved in a life group. That will help you. Practice self-control. Every person here needs to serve on a ministry team. And we could go on and on, preparing yourself for godly action. And when your mind is occupied by serving God, then you're not going to uh, allow the ungodly things in our world around us to influence you in a negative direction. Exercising self-control. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There it is at the very end. Against such things there is no law. And so self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And what does that mean? That means that you can't produce godly self-control on your own. You can't say, by my sheer willpower, I'm going to just do everything right. I'm going to control myself. If you try to do that, you're going to fail. Self-control can only come through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in practicing self-control. We do that. First of all, by putting God's word in our hearts. A psalmist in Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Storing up God's word in our hearts. Now, that's more than just reading the Bible. Of course, that's a first step. It's more than just coming to Sunday and listening to somebody talk for 30 minutes. Storing up God's word in your heart is reading God's word on a regular basis, believing God's word, Remembering God's Word and practicing God's Word, putting it into practice. And when you do that consistently, when you do that on a daily basis, it is the foundation for exercising self-control. It's a foundation for having the power to resist sin's temptation. Self-control is putting to death sinful behavior. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly or worldly, same thing here, in, your, in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so what is earthly or worldly within us? It's, it's sinful thoughts or even behaviors. Some of those are listed in this verse, and each one of those, like all sins, begins in the thought life. And so again, we're tempted, we see sexual immorality, say, well, we're not, I'm not doing that, I'm okay. And Jesus said, if, if you lust in your heart, if you have a lustful thought, you've committed sexual immorality. And so God wants us, here it says, put to death. I mean, be ruthless with these things, both in our thought life and if it's going on in our behavior as well. Be ruthless with all sin in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't tolerate just a little bit of sin. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm comparing myself to somebody else and I'm just doing a little bit. And I'm certainly not as bad as them. I'm just doing a little bit. Surely God understands. You tolerate a little bit of sin in your life and it's going to get bigger. It's going to grow. It's going to get worse and worse. Don't tolerate any sin. That's what self-control is all about. It's about learning to say no. 
Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so this verse tells us that we are, that God's grace trains us to do two things. First of all, we are to renounce or to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, both in our own lives, and we are to stand up for the truth of God in the world around us, to speak against things that are wrong. So we are to say no, and secondly, we are to live self-controlled lives by the grace of God. And everything that God commands us, we can do, even if we live in an ungodly, reprobate generation that is going downhill fast, we can live self-controlled lives by the grace of God. Now, every person has various weaknesses in their lives towards certain kinds of temptation, and every person is different. Maybe nobody else knows your weaknesses, but you know. You know areas in your life where it's hard to struggle against the temptation. You know areas in your life where you try to minimize your failings. That's not a big deal. But you know deep down what your weakness is. God knows what your weakness is. And the devil knows what your weakness is. And so God wants you to, to well, God wants to help us to develop self-control in the area of our weaknesses. And so today, as, as we're wrapping up this message, think about your particular weakness. And if you're thinking, I don't have any weaknesses, you're, you're thinking too highly of yourself. You do have a weakness. Everybody has a weakness, at least one. Most of us have multiple weaknesses. But think about your primary weakness. If you don't know, ask God, show me my weakness today, right now, because I need to know my area of vulnerability. Think about areas in your life where you've yielded to sin in the past. And if you think, well, I'm totally over that, I could never fall in that area again, pride goes before a fall. If you've fallen in the past, you need God's help so that you don't fall in the future. Because that was an area of weakness you've already yielded to in the past. And so this week, find a verse in the Bible that can help you resist a temptation in your area of weakness. That might be from the outline today, or you might find another one that deals particularly with your particular weakness, or it might be a general one that we went over today. Memorize that verse, recite it regularly, and when you're tempted, use that verse. Jesus rejected temptation, didn't give in to temptation by using the Word of God when he was tempted by Satan, and that's an example for all of us. Renounce that sin in your life. Ask God to help you to be strong, to help you put it to death. And then stay away from places, from people, from media that lead you to temptation in your area of weakness. That's why most people keep falling re repetitively. They, they think things don't influence them. Look in your life what has influenced you in the past in this area of weakness and stay away from it whether it's people, like I said, places, media, whatever it is. And as you learn to exercise self-control in your life,
you're going to become more and more free of the chains that cling to each one of us. God wants to keep on setting us more and more free. And so today, uh, we've learned that in order to break the chains in each of our lives, we must add self-control to our knowledge of God. Self-control begins in the mind. We renew our minds. We take every thought captive. We need to be watchful, to be sober-minded, to be alert, preparing to do godly things, moving in godly directions, hiding God's word in our heart that, we, that will help us to renounce and resist sinful behavior that we're particularly susceptible to. And as we grow in self-control, we're going to become more and more productive in following Jesus in all of our lives we're going to experience more and more of God's blessing in our lives as we walk in the fruit of the Spirit, in the fruit of self-control. Now, to exercise self-control in our lives, we need to be believers, we need to be followers of Jesus Christ, and I want to give it an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ is simply to admit that you've sinned, that you've done wrong things. Secondly, to believe that Jesus died to forgive those sins, ask for that forgiveness, and commit your life to following Him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now, and if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, or you're not sure, or you'd like to recommit your life, I'd like to encourage you to pray along with me right now. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned, I've done wrong things. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took my sin upon himself that I might be forgiven. Forgive me and come into my life. I commit myself to following you from this day forward as my Savior and my Lord. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for teaching us today about the fruit of the Spirit, about self-control. Forgive us, God, for following our own feelings rather than your truth. Forgive us for thinking too highly of ourselves and thinking we really are doing just great and there's nothing we need to deal with in our lives, God. Help us to humbly submit our lives to the searchlight of your Holy Spirit. To re reveal to us weaknesses in our life that we need to be careful about, to read to us sins and ungodly thoughts in our lives that we need to put to death. Help us not to be conformed to worldly thinking, but to have our minds renewed with godly thoughts leading to godly actions. We want to be sober-minded. We want to be alert to the devil's schemes. We don't want to be devoured by him in any shape or form. Help us to grow in self-control and help us to help others to become more and more like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.